2: Sanders and Sanu get traded. Kenyon Drake is now a Cardinal. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's
1: up, Roto-Viz? Hey,
2: everyone. Welcome back into... Another episode of the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by my bookie Harry's and Ship Station. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the action network. We have a lot to talk about this week. What's going on, Matt?
1: Not much. uh, Recording this on Monday night, just starting to do some of the uh, projections for week nine. And uh, I thought it was a pretty decent uh, slate of week eight football, even though entering the slate, I wasn't really all that excited about it.
2: Yeah. And uh, we got to close off with an awesome game last night, which we'll talk about uh, with the Packers and the Chiefs and some interesting performances and movements that occurred heading into week eight i want to start off talking to you about a player that uh you've been pretty high on the last two seasons and that's Kenyon drake how do you feel about him becoming an arizona cardinal
1: uh i i mean nothing matters at this point um I mean, I think he's going to be the guy amazingly for Thursday night football um, because David Johnson is dealing with uh, an ankle and a back issue. I don't think he's going to play. Uh, reports are that Chase Edmonds, uh, I think he was dealing with a knee issue, is going to be out for you know potentially a few weeks. Yep. So Drake could be the guy um, you know, for a short period of time. But I think once David Johnson comes back or Chase Edmonds come back, they vault ahead of him on the depth chart.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm expecting as well. Now, I do think that he could have a couple of really nice games for them if things break well. Obviously, Edmonds wasn't faring too great before he got knocked out of the game over the weekend, Um, but he might be a good stopgap, Drake, that is. But yeah, I agree. Like once Edmonds and Johnson are back in the mix, it's going to be tough for him to give you much value. Adrian Peterson had a pretty decent game in his revenge game against the Vikings. Case Keenum, not so much. Uh, did you lay any props on, the, on these revenge game narratives?
1: Uh, I smashed the under on all of the Case Keenum props. Nice. And they, they all hit. Um, and part of it is just because, you know, Keenum. But part of it is also, one, uh, he could be benched at any point. Um, two... Uh, the Redskins under their interim head coach have been extremely run heavy. So, uh, I mean, as long as Keenum is out there and reports are that if he's healthy, he's in the concussion protocol, if he's healthy, uh, he will be the starter this upcoming week. Uh, if he's out there, I'm continuing to smash the unders on all of his props.
2: Yeah. And as we've talked about now for a number of weeks, I really don't think there's too much more to talk about. Apparently Darius Geis might be able to get back in week 11. We'll see on that, but, um, you know, even if he does, I, I don't know how excited one could be about his prospects. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel Sanders traded out of Denver. Cortland Sutton, only three wrecks on six targets over the weekend. Noah Fant actually led the team with eight. Deshaun Hamilton, who I thought maybe could pick up a little bit of the workload vacated by Sanders, only saw one. What did you make of this trade?
1: Uh, Interesting trade. Like, good value, I think, for um for the Broncos. To be able to get a third for Sanders. So it made total sense for them. Uh, I don't like it quite as much for the 49ers. Like giving away a third for Sanders, I think, is kind of steep, but um, I guess they could get that back potentially uh as a compensatory pick uh if he leaves in free agency. So like I, I guess I get it. Like they're thinking that they're in a Super Bowl window and they need to improve their wide receiver depth, so fine. Like I, I get it, but trading a third for Sanders feels kind of steep. I mean, the one thing that seems crazy is on the uh the Denver side of this. Um before trading Sanders, you had Cortland Sutton have like a minimum of 7 targets per game and then with no Sanders, he had uh his fewest targets all season. Like that's obviously going to re- re- like improve, but uh it's just it's a little bit weird.
2: Yeah, so if we look at the rest of the players in the offense, do you have any key takeaways that you're expecting we need to think about moving forward or is it really Sanders leaves but this doesn't have much of an impact on any one particular player
1: Uh, I mean that offense in general is just something I want to stay away from but I think fans will continue to uh, to see more workload Um, he's you know out there Almost every snap, he's running lots of routes, uh, hasn't been targeted quite as much, but I think he will get targeted more. So I'm still like slowly bullish on him. But I I mean, I don't think he's anything more than a high end, like speculative tight end too, um, but still long term. I think even though he hasn't been productive, like the early signs are still positive on him.
2: For sure. And I think the fact that we're already seeing games where he's getting up into that eight target range has to be encouraging. Looking at the Colts, who managed to edge out Denver in a pretty uh, close game on Sunday, what this game really reaffirmed for me is just how hard it is to make sense of this passing attack. You know, you, you're hoping that maybe you can see one of these receivers that has stepped up in a game be able to carry that forward. Pretty solid or excuse me, pretty even distribution, solid game for Marlon Mack. Other than that, I'm not too sure that there's anything new we can glean from the Colts performance over the weekend.
1: Yeah. T.Y. Hilton had a tough matchup against Chris Harris. um, And so I think that probably impacted some of his target share Uh, entering the game. He had been averaging eight targets and then he had six targets last game, which I I mean, I guess that makes sense given his matchup. Um, I thought he would do better, but I don't want to read too much into um, into one game. I think he's still pretty clearly the number one. And I think that um, although he didn't do much, uh, Zach Paschal has like cemented himself as the uh, the number three receiver in that offense, like he, in terms of just snaps played, like he's the other guy that's out there.
2: OK, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that is useful. Um, might be hard to rely on, on him every week, obviously, from a fantasy. Perspective. Yeah, obviously.
1: But I mean, like as, he's a warm body that's out there. Like, that's pretty much the most we can say about him. And the same with Chester Rogers. He's out there locked into the slot. But um, out of like anyone besides T.Y. Hilton, it's hard to know in any given week who's going to be targeted.
2: Yeah, completely agree. Um, Going back to that Minnesota game, Stefan Diggs has now put together three really solid games. Adam Thielen being out of the equation certainly helped, but we have seen the impact of he and Thielen complaining. You have to be impressed with what he's done in this stretch.
1: Yeah, this is, this is painful for me um, because I'm like notoriously down on digs and, uh, and Thelon entering the season. And it primarily has to do with uh, how run heavy I was expecting this offense to be. And in the first three weeks of the season, it was very run heavy. Um, they've eased up a little bit on that. Um, and I mean, they are getting more targets now to, uh, to digs. The thing that still kills me is, okay, so like in, I mean, I should just say, I'm, I'm going to take, you know, take the L on yep. what he's done over the last five weeks. He's, he's been great. Uh, averaging 120 yards per game over the last five weeks. Um, okay, that said, if you look at what he did in, in his first four seasons in the league, he averaged 7.9 yards per target. This year, he's averaging 14.4, like almost double. Um, there is no way that that is sustainable. And a lot of it has to do with the catch rate. Um, his catch rate has jumped up to 75.5%. Uh, you know, last year it was 68.5. But anyway, I'm, I guess this is my way of saying he's not getting as many targets as he used to, but he's still producing at a prolific level because he's being so efficient on a per-target basis. And I just I don't see that efficiency lasting, like maybe Diggs is one of the best five receivers in the league. um he will have to be in order to continue to produce at this level of efficiency, but I don't think he's one of the five best receivers, so Whenever I have a chance to bet against his props, especially his receiving uh, yardage props, which I think are going to be inflated because of what he's recently done, uh, I'm going to bet against him.
2: Sure, I-, I can definitely understand that, and I think that if you're an owner of digs, you certainly do have to be expecting those yards are going to come down unless the target volume for whatever reason would continue to increase. So some of his production if he's going to keep up having these 20 point performances would have to come from touchdowns somewhere I, along I mean, the line. I mean, it
1: helps it helps obviously that Thielen is out, but he has still seen over the last 5 weeks only 7.4 targets per game. Like that's not a that's not a huge amount. That's not like a locked in wide receiver one number of targets.
2: Yeah, it really isn't. And I think also let's remember that this is a team that would prefer to run the ball, and they have been successful, so we could see more games coming where they're able to deviate from that passing type of game script now that they've kind of given Diggs and Thielen their share in a stretch. So, you know, if you're interested in getting in on the action... Uh regarding digs, you definitely want to head over to mybookie.ag. As a true football fan, you already know that just as sure as the seasons change as Tom Brady keeps the Patriots in games, every weekend your favorite Gridiron Warriors put their skills to the test. So you should be doing the same. We're almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with my bookie. It's the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. If you are betting, do the smart thing and bet with my bookie. Bet a little, win a lot, play the parlays, pick your locks for the week, put them together into one huge parlay bet, and when the wins come through, the rewards will be huge. Don't just be watching from the couch with nothing to gain. MyBookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back on the game. And if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they will give you $1,000. That's double your initial deposit. You can use on all your favorite picks. Enter the promo code Rotoviz to activate the offer. That's promo code Rotoviz to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Moving on to a player that I'm sure you want to talk about given the results of this weekend. <laughs> How good was Mike Evans?
1: Um, he was awesome. I believe entering the week. Um, he was number one overall in um, air yards and uh, yards after the catch combined per game. Uh, I haven't run the numbers yet, but I'm assuming that's going to be the case once again this week, uh, just given how prolifically he was targeted down the field. Right. Um, I, th- these like the combination of Godwin and Evans reminds me of uh, like Fitz and Bolden back in the day. Like, it's hard to say, like, this guy is clearly better than the other guy. Cause, like, I have a ton of respect for Chris, Chris Godwin. I do think Evans is the better player. Um, the fact that he has so many more air yards, uh, I think is pretty significant. Um, and I think he's a better contested catch guy. Godwin, obviously, much more skilled after the catch. Uh, and I, like, I don't want to diminish that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to like split that baby down the middle. Like both of those guys are really good players. Um, they might be the best duo of receivers in the league. Um, but Evans, like what we saw out of him was like, um, he was just bailing out his quarterback. who was just throwing the ball up and being like, Mike, please do what you do. And um I, I don't know if anyone in the league is better than Evans uh at like the jump ball contested catch that's like thirty yards down the field.
2: Well he's certainly proved time and time again that for him it's something you really can rely on him for. Now, a, a note there just to to point out here as you talked about Evans with the air yards as a support for his being one of the better receivers in the league. In case anybody's new to the channel or new to Rotoviz, air yards, depth of target. Everything in that realm really does belong to the receiver. So it's not necessarily like, oh, you know, it's just Jameis chucking it downfield. We do believe that that has something to do with who they're throwing to. And naturally, given the success that Evans has had, that's why we can consistently see those deep targets downfield. Any yeah. other takeaways on the Bucks before we move on?
1: Uh, Jameis Winston is horrible. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he's got to get benched at some point, although I kind of hope he doesn't because like his style of, uh, yellow football still works for the receivers. So, um, I wish that Ronald Jones, uh, would just seize the workload, um, and, uh, put Peyton Barber in the tent, but, uh, we're not there yet. So anyway, uh, Mike Evans is awesome. Winston sucks. Uh, we need more Rojo. (laughs) <laughs> Pretty
2: good performance for Janu Smith, who led the Titans with seven targets yesterday. Corey Davis, I'll point out, was targeted six times, only converted on two of those. Adam Humphreys also had six targets. With Ryan Tannehill in the mix, do you think that Smith can kind of carry this forward, or is this an aberration?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, Smith was like one of those, it was like the, the great tight end class of a couple of seasons ago. And Smith was one of the kind of under the radar guys in that class. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a third rounder, right. Uh, third rounder, like good athletic profile, Yep. uh, was pretty productive at Florida international in college. So, I mean, it's very possible, like a guy like that, he has the potential to break out. Um, and he's, you know, he's flashed his athleticism in the past couple of games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the target distribution, I think, is going to be uh, what could screw him over. Because, um, I I mean, this is still, I think, a team that wants to run the ball. And I still don't trust Ryan Tannehill all that much. Um, and so I could see, and, and then on top of that, like, he's still the tight end, you know. So I, I don't think he's going to be uh, leading the team in targets. Regularly, I think he's still going to be playing behind Corey Davis and A.J. Brown and then maybe even Adam Humphreys to an extent. Um, so he has potential, but I think he will be very volatile.
2: Completely fair. Christian Kirk, 11 targets, added one rush for 19 yards. By and large, the most targeted player for the Cardinals. I think that this holds and this continues.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, he's, he's been impressive when he's been out there, Larry Fitzgerald, um, you know, RIP, um, he's seen better days. Uh, but Kirk, um, he's had double digit targets in three of five games, you know, averaging 9.6 targets per game in his five games. Uh, and then like he is getting, um, those, those targets, I mean, sorry, those, uh, those carries, like he has three carries in five games. Like I don't, I don't think he's going to have, you know, like a carry per game, but I think like one every other game and like used opportunistically. And then he's still getting punt returns. And, you know, he was a very good return man in college. So like he has multiple avenues to produce other than just his receiving work. But I think his receiving work alone is still enough.
2: Yeah, definitely. Very encouraging. Now, we actually haven't talked about Andy Isabella yet. Were you expecting heading into the season I mean I think in hindsight maybe we should have known well especially after training camp that it was possible we wouldn't see any Isabella really in his first year um should we be discouraged for the dynasty owners out there that own him
1: yes I mean I think we should be um <laughs> because I don't think there's anything all that great about um whoever is playing on the outside at this point whether it's uh Keyshawn Johnson or Demir Bird or Trent Sherfield, like none of those guys, uh, is anyone that you would assume could beat out Andy Isabella. And so I think it, it could mean a couple of things. One, um, Isabella is maybe just pretty raw. Um, two, maybe he's just talent wise, not as good as we thought three. And this might be the part that is uh, most alarming, Um, maybe his coach has just pigeonholed him as a slot only player. Um, and I think that would be really damning. Um, not in that it would reflect on Isabella's skill, but that it would reflect on the, uh, imaginative capabilities that Cliff Kingsbury has. Like if he can't imagine what Andy Isabella could do on the outside, then like, I actually kind of don't have a lot of faith in that offense you know, like Mm -hmm. so much of the bullishness surrounding that offense was the idea that Cliff Kingsbury was an imaginative guy. And if you just gave him all of these pieces, he would be able to figure out how to put them together in an explosive offense. And I think Isabella, based on what we saw of him in college and, you know, the metrics and all of those things, I think he should be one of the three top wide receivers out there on the field every game. Um, And the fact that like Kingsbury had said, he views Isabella as a slot guy, um, like fine, he's a slot guy, but you know whatever, put him on the outside, put Christian Kirk on the outside, like figure out a way to make it work um so i I don't know it's it's disheartening, not because I think the evaluation of Isabella was wrong, but because like I think the offense that he's in isn't going to be as good as we wanted.
2: that could definitely be the possibility, and um. You know, it will be too bad. He'll just be another example of one of these players who it looks like has a diversified skill set. There's different things he could do, but doesn't really get the opportunity to show. We saw in his college career playing at UMass a number of games against SEC competition where he just really crushed it. So it is surprising that he wasn't granted more of a shot, at least to this point. Um, it's really been, almost been like a non-existent yeah. workload, and I mean, with I, where they drafted would, him, right? Yeah. So like yeah, that's yeah, a real the second problem. rounder.
1: That that is the thing. The second rounder, they spent the second rounder on him, and then haven't given him the shot. Um, but I, I mean, if you're in a dynasty league and whoever drafted him isn't really into him anymore, uh, I mean, I think it's a buy low. I definitely still want to acquire him, if for no other reason than the fact that at some point he might get an opportunity on a second team. Uh, or, you know, eventually he might get more of an opportunity overall. Um, so, yeah, I, I still want him. I still yeah. want him.
2: A- and also, Larry Fitzgerald, who's still a significant right. opponent of this offense, could retire at the end of the year. We don't know. And yeah. then it's possible they shift things around and he does get a role. So I'm with you Um, in that I don't think we should be giving up on Isabella, but this certainly, you know, isn't uh, encouraging. Yep. Drew Brees in his first game back hits Michael Thomas on 11 of 12 passes. Uh, Thomas finds the end zone and also brings up 112 yards. How good of a connection do they have and and how unbelievable is Michael Thomas?
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So Thomas leads the league now with 109.4 yards per game, uh, leads the league with 73 receptions. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing that he doesn't lead the league with uh, 89 targets. Um, I mean, he's just been the best wide receiver in the league over the past two years. His, uh, what is it? It's probably like an 83% catch rate, 83.9% catch rate over the past two seasons. Um, <laughs> it's just, that's unbelievable. And that he's been able to do some of that, um, with a quarterback who's not drew Brees. uh, I think just speaks to his elite talent. Um, so yeah, super impressed with him. Um, like I, I, I don't know if we ever thought that we would see um, a player with the like the connection um, that like Jimmy Graham had with Drew Brees, but like this this connection with Michael Thomas like far exceeds anything we've seen with Brees and any other guy, whether that was Graham or Marquise Colson back in the day, or even like Antonio Gates back in the San Diego days. Like this, this is the connection that, uh, Breeze has seemingly been searching for his entire career.
2: Completely. I mean, this actually is a historic connection. This might be when all of a sudden done, depending on how long breeze plays, one of the best that we're going to see in a long time, uh, uh, The running back situation, Alvin Kamara still out, but Latavius Murray, not only does he go for a hundred yards on the ground, also draws 12 targets. He's absolutely killing it. And this is just more of an indictment of the fact of paying up for your running backs. And it also does speak to some of the merits of a zero running back approach, which I can certainly understand hasn't been working out for everybody, but you know, what a great example he has been.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was the Latavius thesis entering the year. Um at Action Network, Sean Corner had Latavius as his uh like number one like handcuff uh entering the season. Uh and I mean this is why like Kamara was a guy who was never really meant to be a like quote unquote lead back. Um Murray is perfectly built for it. Uh it's a team that likes to run the ball anyway. We had seen them have uh, like a timeshare with Mark Ingram. It was easy to put Murray in the Mark Ingram role. The fact that they didn't use Murray uh, as as like a Mark Ingram equivalent early on was a little bit frustrating. But after what he's done the past two weeks, um, and then especially given that they like want to keep Kamara healthy for the postseason, it's hard to imagine that they won't give Latavius uh, a significant chunk of the workload moving forward. So even, you know, if like for the closing five weeks of the season or whatever it is, he's not the lead back, I think he's still going to see enough usage to be fantasy viable each week.
2: Yeah, for sure. and. Um... Again, it's just kind of one of those things where, well, I shouldn't say again because I didn't mention it yet, but it you kind of touched upon it. It would have been easy to think, okay, maybe I had it wrong heading into the season, but with Murray and a player that's in an offense like that, that we've seen be productive before. Sometimes those are the type of guys that it does make sense to hold on to because it doesn't change the potential that was there. Maybe they're not getting that standalone value that you would have thought they had before. But just imagine now if Kamara continues to struggle with health concerns, how good Mari could be. I mean, you it really could be looking at an RB1 easily for Mari the rest of the season if Kamara has health issues. A player that despite having a good game is not going to be able to to touch anywhere near that level. We talked about him last week. Joe Mixon, best game of the season, four receptions and a touchdown receiving, I believe, 66 yards on the ground. I don't know if you think it's even worth discussing anymore. The other points that I had from this game, Tyler Boyd was back, but we still saw Auden Tate with 13 targets. Alex Erickson with seven. I'll let you take us wherever you feel like uh, we should go with this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things, obviously, uh, the Bengals are on bye this week, uh, but returning, you know, they'll have a tough matchup against Baltimore, easier matchup against Oakland and then tough matchup against Pitt to follow that. Um, but I mean, if you have Mixon, you basically, you still have to start him. Um, although I mean, you don't want to, you have to start him because he does have games like what we saw this last week in his range of outcomes. And he's still getting a lot of usage Auden Tate. Um, as, sickening as this is to say he is number two in the league right now in end zone targets he has 10 end zone targets even though he's played in only seven games um so i mean as untalented as he might be um he has zero ability to separate which is why like (laughs) he has to be good at catching contested balls because that's all he gets um he's just like a contested ball machine Um, but, uh, yeah, he's getting targeted enough in the end zone and still getting enough raw targets overall that, um, I mean, he, he makes sense as I I think a fairly low end fantasy starter, but I, he, I think he's a fantasy starter.
2: I mean, the funny thing is he actually kind of has been, and it's one of those where you keep thinking to yourself, eventually this has to stop. It hasn't obviously we'll have to see if AJ green does get back into the mix. How here's,
1: Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, go for it. Go for it. I mean, here's the scary thing. Um, He has one touchdown this season, but he's been targeted in the end zone 10 times. Like he actually could have been doing much better than he has to this point. And I still feel as if he's been like overperforming his talent. Like he's pacing in in the games he's started. So like the past six games, he's pacing for over a thousand yards receiving this year um you know that that just seems unreal but uh in terms of the opportunities he's had he should have like closer to three or four touchdowns by now
2: right well he ranks 17th among wide receivers in expected points per game but in <laughs> <laughs> but in fantasy points over expectation he ranks 196 so he yeah. actually according to our metric has left more than 22 points on the board
1: yeah yeah um and, and, and that's and that sounds right that I mean that's yeah that's three touchdowns you know like three three and a half touchdowns yeah
2: yeah so I mean it is kind of crazy and I, I I do think it's hilarious that you mentioned there's no separation if you have not watched out to take yet go back the separation is not there but he is really good with the contested ball so I mean I I think that as long as Andy Dalton stays focused on and we are going to see honestly a Pretty solid uh, performance from him for the rest of the season from a guy that you never would have expected entering the season.
1: Yeah, I mean he's like uh like what Devin Funches was in um in Carolina or even like uh poor man's Kelvin Benjamin. Like that's what he is.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because he kind of took over the Kelvin Benjamin role at Florida State after Benjamin left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and was another guy that it was used ver- like in a very similar fashion where you would kind of think to yourself if you weren't paying attention to the stuff like speed, route running ability, and you were just watching him go up and catch those passes where he had to physically beat his competitor you'd say all right you know maybe this guy does have an nfl future um and now we're kind of seeing it translate in the same way for him cooper cup 220 yards on seven receptions he is insane uh also daryl henderson used more than Gurley yesterday
1: yeah uh cooper cup i mean i don't i don't know what to say about him i mean we obviously weren't expecting this Um, but I mean, I do think like Matt Kelly was pretty pessimistic on Cooper cup entering the NFL. Like, I think he called him like the angel of death, the white angel of death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of it just had to do with his athletic profile, like, you know, zero, zero speed. Um, but you know, he did have agility and like, that's what we see out of Cooper cup. Like he is, uh, the perfect slot receiver and he's with a quarterback, um, and a coach combination that I think can use that really well. Um, so, and then I think he was helped obviously by uh, the Brandon cooks uh, in right. So cooks was gone for most of the game. So he, even more work. And, and then I should just say like, he had a, a perfect matchup against the Bengals who were just totally outclassed. And he was going against like a third string uh, slot cornerback. It was just like, it was unfair.
2: Yeah. There was like five yards of, of space around him at all times. Anytime he caught the ball yesterday. Yeah. Um, thoughts on the, on the Henderson split with Gurley, uh,
1: promising for Henderson. Uh, you like to see it and it looks like Malcolm Brown is going to be out for a while longer. Uh, I still think, I mean, Gurley, correct me if I'm wrong. He's, he scored another touchdown. Yeah, he
2: did. He did.
1: I mean, that's the thesis for Gurley is that, you know, like he has seven games played seven touchdowns this year. Like that's not as many touchdowns as he scored last year on a per game basis, but that's still better than almost everyone else. So uh, even if he's not getting the same usage, uh, not getting the same yardage, he's still going to be scoring touchdowns almost every game for um, sure. So, yeah. So like you can, you can live with his failure to give you the yards as long as he's scoring the touchdowns. So he's a different kind of player now, but you know, you'll you take what you can get. And the touchdowns are still really good.
2: Yeah. And I think the other thing to keep in mind too, for people that own Henderson this may have not been a representative game of what most Rams games are going to look like with them playing the Bengals. So I wouldn't read into the workload having, or to the split with Henderson being the recipient of the majority of rushing attempts. I don't think that's going to carry forward every game, but I do think that split's going to be closer. But like you said, you know, Gurley's profile and how he scores his points has kind of changed. But I mean, I I think that you definitely lucked out if you didn't get Gurley. Yeah. Ryan Griffin, two receiving touchdowns for the Jets in yesterday's game against the Jaguars. I believe he also led the team in targets. Are we reading into this or is this uh, just a one week type of thing? And we should also mention in conjunction with this, it's possible that the Jets might try and move Robbie Anderson.
1: Yeah, as we're recording this Monday night, uh, you know this this could be released on Tuesday, and uh, Robbie Anderson is no longer a Jet. That's possible. Uh, no interest in Ryan Griffin, absolutely none. Okay, that sums it up. Um, yeah, unfortunately- I, I had yep. interest in I had interest in him when he was with the Texans like four years ago. Because uh, when he was in college at UConn, he had like a 60% touchdown market share his senior year. Um, But, you know, so like, I mean, I'll say like, yeah, he theoretically has some potential. But at this point, he's like, what is he, like 30 or something like that? Like, he's like, he's old and he's on a team that I don't have much respect for.
2: Yeah. You know, the other thing that I was noticing, too, as I was looking through some of the Jet stats is just um, poor Le'Veon Bell just really hasn't had much of an opportunity to make things happen. Um, also, while well, you were mentioning that I brought up uh, Ryan Griffin, so he's in his, um, let's see, uh, two, he's in, I want to say his eighth NFL season. So yeah, he's he's been around for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, DD Westbrook hopefully is going to be okay. Um, looks like he's certainly going to miss some time. In his absence, Chris Connolly goes over 100 yards with a touchdown for the Jaguars. Conley had had some games where he was getting some targets. Um, as we look forward with Jacksonville, do you think that Conley becomes a potential weekly flex play now if Westbrook does miss time, or, or should we not read too much into yesterday's performance?
1: Yeah. So a couple things, uh, DD had neck and shoulder issues entering the game and he was going to try to play through them and, uh, he aggravated the, you know, the issue. So I think he's going to be out for a while. Um, but I'm still not all that interested in Chris Conley because, uh, he had just a great matchup going against the two outside cornerbacks for the jets, uh, Daryl Roberts and Tremaine Johnson, uh, both of whom are like decidedly below average players. Um, so I think it was more a matter of circumstance. Um, so he, he will probably get more targets moving forward, but I I mean, I still think he's like Chris Conley, you know, so I think it will be very matchup dependent. Um, that said, uh, this week for the London game, uh, he does have a great matchup going against the Texans who, uh, could be without like their three starting cornerbacks. So, uh, there's some potential there for him.
2: Okay. Yeah. I, um, might need a fill in for the week and perhaps it would be him. And hopefully that goes better than I was using last Christmas. I was given what's supposed to be an extremely good electric razor. And I don't know what happened, Matt, but I essentially had to shave down my beard till there was about nothing left. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's and the this, worst. Yeah, it is. So I've had this issue a couple of times because if you're on a setting on this thing that's like a four, it doesn't cut. And then I always forget and I move it down to a three. And the next thing I know, I've like nothing left. It's splotchy and I'm just a mess. So I can't really tie this in very well to what I probably should just be doing is forget about the beard, forget about the trimmer and just get a Harry's razor. The whole reason I have the beard is I could never get A nice clean shave, but the truth is, there's really not a lot of a secret to getting a great shave. It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me a close shave. Easy glide. It's a low price. Do us a favor and check out harryscom slash wire for your tr- free trial today. Maybe I just need to at least bring that out on like the under part of the chin to at least clean up some of this beard, so I get a good shave underneath there. Uh, why use Harrys? Well, um, it's a return to the essential, right? Quality, durable blades at a fair price. is just two dollars per blade super convenient refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk for you trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. And also the kit that you order, uh, you can get with the free trial, is pretty sweet, you know, really nice handle. Um, kind of just like a way to really up your shaving game. You feel like a much more put together person when you are shaving with this versus that, you know, generic razor you're going to get from the store. Listeners of our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com forward slash blue wire to start shaving better today. The holiday rush is coming. I am one of those people that does love getting the uh, holiday music in the stores. For me, that's what really gets things going. Almost Thanksgiving, before we know it, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, those songs are going to be on in the stores. And if you sell stuff online, you're not going to hear it, but you can get Ready for the holiday season with a ship station with more people buying online than ever before. You have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. People want to avoid those songs, so they shop online. But how do you keep track of all those orders or decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're getting the best rates? Well, you go to ship station, they can help you with just a few clicks. You'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door. And delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation, right? One of these products you have to love. They make everything so much easier, save you time around the holidays. No matter what you're selling Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, not only making the holiday season easier for you. But making everything in the ShipStation process easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone, ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. It's no wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial that's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit shipstation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in blue. That's shipstation.com, enter offer code BLUE, shipstation, make ship happen. Matt, I think that Daniel Jones may have listened to our podcast from last week. Four touchdown performance, Danny Pennies may have been unwarranted. <laughs> um, I'm going to stick with Danny Pennies. <laughs> i think i will too uh so you're not overreacting to this performance but what about the darius slayton two touchdown game that he posted
1: uh yeah i think he could have even had a a third one um and i should say i'm uh, a little saddened that uh the world missed out on the uh darius slayton versus darius slay uh wide receiver cornerback matchup uh which would have sort of like broken all naming conventions but (laughs) um Yeah, I I say this as like I I know almost nothing about Darius Slayton. Like he was one of those guys that I really didn't think about when he was entering the league this year, like played at Auburn, didn't really do much. There Um, was, you know, like one of their like third or fourth wide receivers, Um, but, you know, flash at the combine and then was drafted in the fifth round kind of didn't pay attention to him. Um, and now he's, you know, starting to flash a little bit, uh, and, you know, playing regular snaps. Uh, I don't really know what to make of this. Uh, I still think of him as someone who didn't do much in college and was drafted in the fifth round and plays for the giants and is playing just because there aren't better options. So I'm kind of assuming that once Sterling Shepard comes back, Darius Slayton is going to become like the fourth or fifth receiving option on this team. Like, I think he's still behind Evans. uh, Sorry, not Evans, Evan Ingram. uh, Like, still behind Golden Tate, behind Saquon Barkley. Like, he had, so yeah, he had two touchdowns, but he had just five targets last game. Exactly. So, like, I'm, I don't know, I'm not all that interested in a guy once Sterling Shepard gets back, who is probably going to be maxed out around four targets per game.
2: Yeah, I think that's the, that's the larger takeaway I have with that too. Generally, where there's a player that's like Slayden, what you like to see is some of those unexpected big games coming off of a high workload, not touchdowns, which maybe certain players can have a higher touchdown percentage than others, but it's somewhat random how they accrue those. He just happened to get two in this game. Like you said, in the confines of this offense, it's probably something that you can't expect. And then obviously, once Shepard gets back, we're looking at a whole not- another animal. Um, nonetheless, though, good performance for him. Um, the Lions backfield did not play out the way that many would have hoped. It became super crowded. Ty Johnson, a lot of people were expecting was going to absorb that workload vacated by on Johnson. We actually saw Trey Carson with 12 temps, Ty Johnson 7, Paul Perkins with three jd mckissick even got one himself any read on this backfield as we move into next week
1: total trash
2: (laughs) yeah that's all i have it's total trash yeah (laughs) that's fair uh kenny galladay pretty good game um two touchdowns on the day also added oh 123 yards so we saw uh marvin jones with a big game now a big game for kenny galladay you think that we see more games like this from either of these receivers as the season moves along, or have we kind of seen their best performances?
1: I think it's Galladay moving forward. Um, He's tied for third in the league in end zone targets. So like they are giving him the high value targets. Uh, he's also being targeted down the field. So, uh, you know, that gives him more value. And uh, since the golden Tate trade last year, uh, we've now had 15 games. He's had 8.7 targets uh, per game. Uh so that's pretty good. And then um this year, you know, it's it's held a relatively steady. Like I think we're going to consider I mean we're going to continue to uh to see him like being the main guy there. Like Marvin Jones is is talented, but um I think it's still the uh the Galladay show. I mean, he might not have again like another hundred and twenty yard two touchdown game this year, but I mean I think he has more hundred yard games uh and you know, more touchdowns moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think that I, I would agree with that. Um, pretty encu- encouraging for Galladay. Now, a player that has not been able to live up what too many would have hoped is Mike Williams. And I, I need you to answer a question for me here because I'm actually having trouble believing this. Is, is it correct that he is yet to score a receiving touchdown this year? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty sad. So this is like um, regression, uh, like epitomized, huh?
1: Yeah, it's it's regression overkill. Um, It's like uh Matt Ryan going from his MVP season to the season he had afterwards where like the pendulum just swung totally in the opposite direction. And now it's kind of like settled in the middle, like closer to where he is. Like this is um this is overkill. Like Williams is, I believe, like top five, like top 10 in the league in air yards per game. Um, like he's getting his yeah, opportunities. He's fifth
2: and air yards per target.
1: Yeah, um, he's getting his opportunities. It's just you know he's not converting them into touchdowns. But at some point, it's gonna happen.
2: You would think. So here's here's also just a crazy thing of the flipping efficiency, right? Last season, sixty-one point four fantasy points over expectation. This year, at minus nineteen. Um, you know really hard to say which one of these is more representative him of him over the course of his career it's also tricky to try to use an efficiency metric metric like this year over year but i do think that as far as his fantasy prospects go i'm not going to be shocked if we start to see him kind of raise that uh 57th ppr per game rank up into you know high 30s i think that's definitely a possibility
1: yeah, I mean, I think he's a, like a combination of what he was last year with what we've seen out of him through the first eight weeks.
2: Yep. Jordan Howard, 96 yards on the ground. Emmanuel, or not Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Miles Sanders, who did get hurt in the game, had 74, both had a rushing touchdown. Also, Boston Scott with a touchdown uh, for the Eagles, who handled the Bills. You expecting to see more games where we see both of these backs putting up useful fantasy numbers?
1: Mm, not really. Um, I still think Jordan Howard is gonna get the the bulk of the workload.
2: Yeah, and um that's kind of where I am too. Uh as far as the receivers go, been a pretty down year for Zach Ertz. Um I do want to mention though that Nelson Aguilar might be a player if you're in real dire straits worth looking at because the team does face a pretty easy schedule down the stretch, particularly in the playoffs. Now that's not to say that you're necessarily going to start him, but if you find yourself with a banged up wide receiver core, he's a player that you could consider. Um, Having said that though, I think it's kind of been, well, I guess compared to expectations heading into the season, um, you could still say it's been somewhat of a disappointment uh, for the passing game for the Eagles with how Wentz has performed from a fantasy perspective and how
1: um, uh, Zach Ertz has. I I don't know if if you see things kind of changing for them as we move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It's a disappointment. I think if things change, it's because Deshaun Jackson comes back at some point, but uh, we just, we don't know when that is. I mean, also, you know, they're playing without their left tackle at some point he's going to come back, but um, I believe Deshaun Jackson is yet to practice. So even though he's been out for, at this point, like almost two months, um, I still don't know if he's coming back anytime soon, you know? So, I I mean, I think that's the the big, uh, the big factor in the offense.
2: for sure. I thought that we could maybe see Dawson Knox continue his role Uh, for the Bills. He's had five targets over the last couple of games, just one target yesterday for Buffalo. Uh, Tyler Cross saw four targets. Uh, We still see Cole Beasley and John Brown being the usable wide receivers. Um, Any thoughts on any players in Buffalo we have not talked about in this point in the season that might be worth mentioning? I don't believe that there are.
1: No, I have no interest in anyone other than, uh, John Brown, really not even, um, not even Cole Beasley who is still like getting targets, but, um, and he's, you know, getting some touchdowns with the targets too, but not getting many yards. And I think the touchdowns will kind of fade away.
2: Yeah. I don't think that they're a team that you were really out there mining, uh, for any fantasy players at this point, DK Metcalf, two touchdowns. Um, now solid game for him. We've talked about how we've been impressed with him. I think this only carries that forward. Another thing that's noteworthy, Chris Carson, uh, 20 carries yesterday. Rashad Penny, eight carries. Apparently, there is some trade interest or there could be in Rashad Penny. Now, I can see how people, and perhaps it's even understandable, could be down on Rashad Penny at this point in his career. I'm not sure if that's entirely on Penny though and if it's possible that we see him in a new situation that all of a sudden he becomes a, you know, decent player. Are you in agreement with me on that?
1: Okay. We are going to uh abandon the rest of the outline for the show and <laughs> we are going to I'm going to to pull a, a fantasy mansion. Okay. And and drag us into a conversation that I want to have. Okay. So um, before the 2018 draft, uh, or let me, let me say that, right after the 2018 draft, the first round, uh, there were reports that came out that the Patriots were interested in Rashad Penny, um, but obviously they were unable to draft him because the, uh, the Seahawks beat them to the punch, um, which meant that the, <laughs> the Patriots had to settle. That's right. I said settle <laughs> for Sony Michelle. At number 31, which I should just say, like Rashad Penny at this point looks like the the worst uh, pick of the first round last year. Um, but Michelle at the time, I thought he was clearly the worst pick of the first round. Um, yeah, me too. I put a poll on Twitter and 32 percent of the people said that they thought um, it was better for the Patriots to draft Sony Michelle over Lamar Jackson which i think is uh lunacy uh and i say that respectfully but that's absolutely crazy if anyone thinks that um i i just i don't know how you even get to that point like i think i'm going to write an article about it this week cuz like they're they're playing each other um but it's i i don't know where where are you on this because like the idea of thinking that a running back is better uh, or offers more value regardless of whatever happens afterward but like is better than a uh a first round quarterback who's 21 years old uh who like i think could fit very well with what Bill Belichick would want to do like i think Belichick could mold him and especially with Lamar Jackson there was this idea of like he's raw perfect you you have the perfect quarterback to bench him behind for years while you develop him. Um, I just, and then especially with what we've seen out of him, like I know you, um, (laughs) you bristled a little bit when I said Vic, but like he is Michael Vic, like that is who he is. And Sony Michelle is a small LeGarrette blunt. Like there's, there is no way that like Michael Vic 2.0 is worth less, regardless of whatever else is happening on your team. Is worth less than Sony Michelle. And people who are pointing to the outcome of, oh, well, he helped us win the Super Bowl, or oh, well, he was really clutch for us in the playoffs. Like, you are totally missing the point of what a running back does for your team. Like, Sony Michelle was the least important part of the Patriots' running game last year. I
2: am in complete agreement with you. Maybe not in everything that you just said, but. Even if you take this in a very simplistic approach, right, and you do look at some of the outcomes, um, what are teams going to give you at this point for Lamar Jackson? What would other teams give you for Sony Michelle? I mean, I think that's pretty much... All that you need to know. Right. And that's 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 ignoring the larger implication of taking Sony Michelle there in that even if you are going to take a running back, there were two better running backs on the board available at that point exactly. anyway. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Right? In yes. Nick
2: Chubb, who's who's substantially better, I would say. And at the time, I think there was signal that he was better. And then there was also Darius Geist. Now, this is one of those where we can go back and we can look at outcomes, but if you go back before uh, poor Darius Guy suffered these injuries. I mean, I think there were very compelling reasons that he would be a better back than Sony Michel, but the larger takeaway is how many Lamar Jacksons are there? Regardless of whether he's Michael Vick 2.0 or not, he's a much scarcer resource than a Sonny Michel, who, you know, there's been so many games, if you want to talk about results, where he really hasn't done very much. And who's to say if another back is in there that they're doing a lot, but the point is for the Patriots, doesn't really matter. And that was the most confounding part about the whole pick was yeah. they had shown time and time again, they could take a different running back. It could be anybody. It could be Jonas Gray, for God's sakes. You put him in there and he can have a monster performance. I mean, I think that even if they were playing Brandon Bolden a lot more than they do traditionally, you could probably see Brandon Bolden fill in that spot. So, I mean, yeah, I do think that's lunacy. I think that it's missing the larger implication of how you're using that pick, the opportunity cost of the pick. And it comes down to a lot more than just that Sony Michelle was clutch. In the playoffs and clutch in the Super Bowl because they already have a player on the squad that has done that time and time again in James White, obviously a different type exactly. of back. But I mean, we could go on this all the time. And I get impassioned about this because in New England, right. I had to keep defending this pick and trying to explain to people why I didn't think it was a good pick. And all I get from everybody is, oh, well, you know, clearly Belichick saw something in him. You know, there was the thought that you could not question anything that Belichick did. And, you know, it was like heresy that I was questioning the decision. Um, and of course, you know, I'm trying to explain to people, uh, you know, size adjusted speed (laughs) and like all of these different college metrics and everything. And I am just getting so much pushback. So,
1: and and, I mean, yeah, the, the point of like, if you could trade someone on the open market, like which guy would get more value at this point, clearly it's Lamar Jackson. And also like, as you mentioned, the Patriots didn't really have a need at the position one, because they had James Hoyt on the team two because you can find you can find running backs late. Like they've shown the ability to do that. And then also in the draft, if you just look at like positional scarcity, like they were like, not even thinking about positional scarcity in terms of like how guys, um, like the value that they add to your team, the production that they add to your team. But if you're thinking just in terms of the prospects, there was a clear teardrop after Lamar Jackson, right? Like he was the bottom of the quarterback tier. Whereas, you look at Sony Michelle, like he was near the top of that tier of running backs, like just in terms of like who was available, like mm. you know, like you had Chubb available, on Johnson, Darius guys, Royce yep. Freeman, like you couldn't really say that Sony Michelle was definitively better than any of those guys in no entering, way entering the league. And actually, to put this even
2: a step further. Anybody that's been listening to the show for a while knows how much I did not like Devin Singletary as a prospect coming out of school. I actually think that one could argue that if you put Devin Singletary in a player that I really questioned, and perhaps I was wrong on that. It's seeming like I was. If he even had the chops to be, and I hate that expression, the chops to be an NFL player, I think that I would have much rather them, even if they'd taken Devin Singletary in like the third round. I would have thought that was better than taking Sony Michelle in the first round because I think there's less of a difference between a player like Michelle and a player like Singletary than there is between Lamar Jackson and um any other player absent of a right. first round pick that we're going to be able to take in the next couple of years if you're trying to use them to either quarterback for your team or just you know get value for in the trade market.
1: Right. And so, and they took, they took Damian Harris this year in the third round. Singletary right. went in the third round. Like, I th- I mean, Damian Harris, we haven't even seen him on the field. Like, do you really think that if they just put Sony Michelle on the bench and put Damian Harris in there, he would do significantly worse than Sony Michelle? Like, probably not. Like he yep. would probably have a similar rushing success rate. He might be better as a receiver and he, he might actually be better as a runner too.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely all possible. And I think the, the other thing too, um, to look at this to look at this draft pick kind of retroactively, at the time too, there was a lot of thought about using Michelle because of that passing skill set that he may have had. And one of the reasons that people were saying it made sense to take him, not Nick Chubb, was the receiving ability. Well, there have not been a lot of instances in using Michelle as a receiver, and there's been, like you said, more of that Legarrett Blunt type of usage, which again goes back to it would have made more sense to go with Chubb in that pick. So, um, yeah. yeah, you know what? I, I like Lamar Jackson even more now that we've had this conversation.
1: Well, that, oh, that's good. Anything I can bring you around on Lamar Jackson? I mean, I should say this, this game, this is, the, and this is almost like a, a contra indicator. Like, this is the game to fade him. Like, I know he's the number one fantasy quarterback. He's coming off the bye. Um, I don't know. I think Belichick, is going to give him something that he hasn't seen before, like Belichick going against a quarterback who can't throw. Um, that that would scare me if I'm a Lamar Jackson backer. And the thing is, like, I know that like Jackson is almost like uh, if there is a a quarterback who can't throw who could beat Belichick, it would be someone like Lamar Jackson. Um, but you know, I'm just thinking of like you wouldn't pick you wouldn't pick Tebow over Bill Belichick. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I I don't, I mean, I think Jackson is talented in a way that Tebow wasn't, but like they have some of the same weaknesses um, and, and like the same strengths. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not optimistic on Lamar Jackson this week. So this will be like the one time when you come around on Lamar Jackson, and then he, uh, he totally looks horrible this upcoming week, and then everyone will be down on him for the next coming months, and he'll still be great, uh, you know, per game after that. But this week, I think it'll be rough.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm inclined to agree with that, especially, um, with just how difficult it's been for anybody going against the Patriots this season. Uh, if you go into the stat explorer and you look at how quarterbacks have fared against the Pats, I mean, it's really ugly. Now, to be fair, they haven't played the greatest slate of quarterbacks, uh, but this defense is really good. Uh, before we close, since you did hijack this episode, which I, I actually enjoyed that conversation, so I'm glad that you did, but we're coming up on, on um, our time that we have for the show. Baker Mayfield struggled against the Pats as the rest of these quarterbacks have. Clearly, Denver... Uh, not Denver excuse me um clearly Cleveland it's been a very disappointing year Baker Mayfield has not lived up to the expectations people had for him is Baker Mayfield perhaps just not that good
1: uh yeah that's that's possible um I think part of it is just the struggles of uh a rookie head coach who is uh in too deep and they're not letting Todd Monkin do enough and you know, he he's yet to establish a connection with uh, or a strong connection with Odell Beckham Jr. And so uh, I, I think better days are ahead for him, but it has been a very rough uh, second season. for him. <laughs> it's been it's been real rough.
2: The one other thing, too, yeah. that people might want to hear from you on before we close off Mohammed Sanu in New England's offense. Uh, what do you think his fantasy value looks like?
1: Basically what it was with the uh, the Falcons. Yeah, that's pretty much it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't overreact if I'm anybody to this. I think Sanu is going to be a big piece for them contributing from a real football, real life football standpoint. Um, But if we weren't seeing big games out of Josh Gordon, I don't think that all of a sudden you're going to start seeing these big games from Sanu. Maybe a piece you can use here and there if you need. Um, but definitely don't overreact. The,
1: uh, the one interesting thing, sorry to interrupt there. The one yep. kind of interesting thing is that, so last week, uh, Sanu didn't play like the full assortment of snaps, but, uh, he played in the slot, the majority of his snaps and Edelman played in the slot, a majority of his snaps, but like, uh, mathematically it is not possible for both of them to play the majority of their, their snaps in the slot. Once Sanu gets up to playing uh, basically every snap. So, uh, I think what we're going to see, and I think we saw this a little bit when Sanu was out there, Edelman kicks out, uh, to the perimeter. So like, it will be interesting to see how Edelman does out there. Like, I still think Edelman is good enough, but, um, Edelman in the slot is just different than Edelman outside.
2: Yeah completely agree with that
1: but that is
2: going to do it for today's show again please rate review and subscribe to the podcast follow us on twitter at dave and at matt and until next time remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it
1: From earaches to strep tests, there's MinuteClinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier, made easier. Visit MinuteClinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details.